So let me read from John 15, verses 1 to 8, and uh, then I'll lead us in prayer as we look to the Lord for his help and what he has for us tonight. So beginning in verse 1, John chapter 15, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." So let me lead us in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you that you are the God, the God, the one true and living God who has revealed yourself through your word, by your spirit, and through and in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you've gathered us together this evening, we pray that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word, that your purposes would be furthered in our lives and through our lives for your glory. We trust you to do, even as you've promised, as we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, what I want to do as we look at this just for a bit this evening is not so much an exposition moving through the passage as much as just an extended meditation on a few key truths that we see here. And these are truths that are echoed in many other places in John's gospel, many other places throughout God's word. We're going to see them and many other truths uh, numerous times as we move through things over the coming weeks in the mission discourse. Uh, But there's four words that I want to highlight for us, and I'm going to slightly change the order of the title I had originally given. Uh, But the four words are this, mission, fruit, prayer and glory. And I'm just flip-flopping fruit and prayer. Originally, I had said mission, prayer, fruit, and glory, but I want to move through it by thinking about mission, fruit, prayer, and glory. And these are words that surface here, the concepts, the truths surface here as well, and they surface other places, places throughout John's gospel as well. And so I just want to take a few minutes to think a little bit, talk a little bit about each of these and their significance, even as we uh, then will move into a time of some extended prayer. And so the first word is mission. The first word is mission. And if you were here this morning, of course, Ryan preached from Matthew chapter 28, a classic passage that we've come to identify and understand, rightly so, as the Great Commission, uh, where Jesus explicitly commissions his disciples, commissions the entire church for what our mission on this earth is. 
And in the mission discourse of John chapter 13 to 16, Jesus is preparing his disciples for that mission. It's the most extended discourse in all four of the Gospels of all that Jesus shares with his disciples in those hours before he goes to the cross. And the heart of this discourse and the heart of what Jesus is doing with his disciples is he's letting them know that as he has been sent from the Father and is nearing the completion of his own mission, he is also then preparing and sending his disciples, which is ultimately carries on to the entire church, on our mission in his absence. And certainly in this context, he's going to have much to say about the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, coming and being with his people in empowering them for the fulfillment of the mission. Now, obviously, even as I read verses 1 to 8, it's clear uh, that Jesus is zealous that fruit would be born through his disciples, through the church. And I'm going to talk more about the nature of that fruit in a few moments. But Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's nearing the completion of his mission. He's preparing to go to the Father. And in so doing, he's all the more fully preparing to have his disciples carry on that very same mission. And so this is really captured by Jesus over in chapter 17 as he prays to the Father. If you look at verse 18 of chapter 17, he says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And so Jesus is acknowledging, Father, you have sent me, and in the same way that you have sent me, I am now sending these disciples. And this is what gives our identity and our purpose, even as his people, as as the extension of that work through his disciples. As Jesus had been sent, so we are sent as well. And then over in chapter 20, if you just want to slip over there uh, real quickly, after Jesus has risen from the dead and he's appeared to his disciples and he has spoken peace to them, he gives what really is John's great commission. Some have called it the greater commission, not because it's better than Matthew's, but because it's maybe a little uh, adds to the fullness of, of what is expressed by Jesus in Matthew's gospel. But in John chapter 20, verse 21, we'll just zero in on that, uh, Jesus says to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so that dynamic, that reality that Jesus has been sent by the Father, he's now completed his mission and uh, coming to culmination in his work on the cross, and then of course following that, his resurrection now ascended to the Father, and he has now sent the church, uh, represented by these original disciples, and of course all who would come after them. But this is God's mission then, through Jesus, now to be extended through the church. And it's vital for us to understand that because as we think about the church's mission, what our mission is as God's people, it it, it all goes back to God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus completed his mission in obedience to the Father, we now, through the power of the indwelling Spirit, are to carry on that very mission as well. Certainly this raises a question, what is the purpose? What is the focus of God's mission? 
there's numerous ways we could summarize it, but for now, let me just say it this way. The heart of God's mission, the purpose of his mission, is to give life through faith in Jesus. It's to give life through faith in Jesus. You may remember in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And of course, in chapter 20, in the classic purpose statement that is given for the reason that this entire gospel was written, in verses 30 and 31, uh, we read, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so the purpose, the focus of God's mission through Jesus, now through the church, is to give life through faith in Jesus. In essence, it's another way, if you will, of saying, of of making disciples, of seeing people come from a place of spiritual death and alienation from God into spiritual life and reconciliation with God, now as God's children through faith in Jesus, to share the very life of God in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And we'll say more about this in weeks to come as we move through the mission discourse in a, in a more purposeful way. But the church's task in fulfilling this mission involves displaying his love and declaring his word. And so we're to, in that sense, overflow as any of us who have come to life through faith in Christ now participate in the life of God through faith in his life, in his love, and and sharing in the fullness of his light, we now are to overflow as his people with that very love, light, and life-giving work in Christ. That is our mission, and that is the mission for every believer. It's the mission for every church. And even in the context of John 15 and the analogy of the vine and the branches that Jesus uses, uh, there's a sense in which that vine in God's design is to continually be reproducing, continually be spreading, continually be uh, multiplying and creeping and growing, if you will. And so that is our mission, to give life, to to be used of God, to give life uh, through faith in Jesus as we display his love, as we declare his word. And that is the mission. Well, that leads to the term fruit and the idea of fruit, which is obviously spoken of extensively by Jesus in verses 2 through 8. If you slip down to verse 16 of chapter 15, as he kind of brings this to a summary, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And so he's concerned about fruit being produced. And so, of course, we ask the question, well, what's the nature of the fruit within this mission that God is seeking to produce? Well, let me just mention two uh, elements of this fruit, two two things to note. Uh, First of all, as we see here in John 15, the production of this fruit, the bearing of this fruit, is the result of abiding in Jesus which means to dwell with him through faith. That's really what the term abiding has to do with, to to dwell, to live with him through faith. It has the idea of believing and continuing to believe, to follow him, to walk with him, to dwell with him, to dwell in him. 
And so the fruit is the result of abiding. And then I think the, the nature of the fruit, the second point to make regarding this fruit, is it really has to do with diverse manifestations of abiding in Jesus, such as greater love that is manifest in our lives, greater obedience to God that is manifest in our lives, greater witnessing of Christ through the power of the indwelling spirit, which Jesus speaks about uh, down in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 15. It, It encompasses all of that. It's a comprehensive term that has to do with these diverse manifestations that are the result of abiding. We can maybe summarize it by saying it means greater Christ-likeness. It's the fruit of becoming more and more like Jesus as we abide in Him, declaring His Word, displaying His love, walking in obedience to Him and the Father. And of course, as we do that, that's going to have a greater and greater impact on other people, both unbelievers that we're seeking to be faithful and bearing witness to Christ with, as well as brothers and sisters that are in our lives that we know that we seek to encourage and strengthen and build up in Christ. So it's a comprehensive term, this sense of fruit that's the result of abiding in Jesus. Well, that leads then to just a brief consideration of the whole matter of prayer, prayer, Jesus certainly speaks of this in verse 7. He says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, this isn't the only place in this mission discourse that Jesus speaks of prayer. He says things about prayer in chapter 14. He says things about prayer in chapter 16. And, of course, chapter 17 is Jesus doing what? Praying to his Father as he prepares to go to the cross. And of course, we know from all of the other Gospels, this was a a deep, deeply embedded pattern of Jesus' life to be praying. It helps us understand, it reminds us that prayer is absolutely essential and foundational to fulfilling God's mission by abiding in Christ and bearing fruit for his glory and being used of him to see life coming to others through faith in Jesus. Uh, Certainly in the book of Acts, we see evidence of this over and over and over again as the original disciples in the early church is given to prayer and to seeking the Lord. And in that sense, what is prayer? Well, again, so many ways we could define it, explain it, but but we can understand it both by way of, uh, uh, of how it is instructed as well as how it is illustrated as desperate continual, confident dependence on God. Desperate, continual, confident dependence on God. And of course, with what Jesus says in verse 7, we understand that this is prayer informed by the Word of God. But it's such a massive promise. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So as we grow in the knowledge of God through his word and his word abiding in us and the knowledge of Christ revealed in his word, we're to ask whatever we would. 
course, Jesus spoke about prayer on other occasions. We think of Matthew chapter 6, where he instructed his disciples how to pray. And again, even as he exemplifies such prayer and the content of such prayer in John 17, uh, we have a key pattern to follow and to imitate. But it reminds us, brothers and sisters, that apart from him, we can't do anything. And maybe you caught that at the end of verse 5 when Jesus says, in the context of bearing fruit, he says, apart from me, you can't do anything. Apart from him and his abiding presence and his power through the Holy Spirit and us depending upon him through prayer, we can't do anything that will bear spiritual fruit for God's glory. We need him. We desperately need him. And I don't know how it is for you. For me, it seems a little bit, as time goes on, I feel weaker and weaker and weaker and less and less and less adequate in and of myself. But mysteriously, well, it's not that mysterious, I guess, in terms of all that God's promised and given his word. Because of what he's promised, I feel confident in him. Even this afternoon before we came, Lori and I were visiting a little bit, and and as it is with most of all of us, you know, we're kind of ramping up here as we're now into September, and school is ramping up for many, and other aspects of things are ramping up in different ways, and we all have various trials, difficulties, and we, at least I was feeling a little bit anxious, a little bit um, um, incompetent, a little bit weak, and just reminded, cast all your cares upon him. Because he cares for you. And and that's a promise we're to claim and to practice continually. And so Jesus makes that emphatic. And again, we're going to see that again and again and again. None of us are adequate to do what God has called us to do in the mission that he has entrusted to us. But all of us are more than adequate through Christ who strengthens us. And again, even as we saw in Matthew 28 this morning, Jesus calls us to this great commission. It's emphatic, it's clear, it's, it's, it's binding, it's our beloved duty, but we can't do it on our own, which is why he says, lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Well, we practice our confidence in that promise through prayer. So we can't do anything apart from him. Well, this just leads to the fourth word, uh, just to highlight, and that is glory glory. All of God's mission through Jesus, through the church, by His Spirit, is all for His glory. The life that He seeks to bring to those He's chosen through faith in Jesus is all to point back to Him in glory. And this is why then Jesus says, verse 8, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And notice that's directly in connection with answered prayer that he's just spoken about, the need to be praying in verse 7. And so as we pray, as we see God answer prayer, the Father is glorified through the fruit that he bears in us and through us. He brings glory to himself. And God's glory, as we understand it from the whole panorama of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, it has to do with His eternal radiance, His majestic, unequaled splendor that is manifest most fully in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's His eternal radiance, His unequaled, majestic splendor. 
We think and we know in our solar system there is no light more glorious than the sun. And in a small, small way, in the whole of God's creation, His glory, His brilliance, His brightness, His radiance of His, of His glorious holy life is infinitely greater than all. And so that's what we speak of. And His glory is multiplied as He bears fruit in people's lives, as He saves people, as He sanctifies people, as He continues His work through His love and through the power of His Spirit. And so friends, these are four key terms we're going to see again and again, four key concepts and terms that we're going to see again and again as we move through the mission discourse. We're going to see other things as well, the fullness of God's love in Christ, the fullness of His light, the fullness of His life-giving work. And we who belong to Him through faith were brought into that And we're also given to share that with others, all to the glory of God. Now, what does that mean for you and me? Well, let me just give a couple of points of of encouragement and application as we will then go to a time of prayer that Tim will be leading us through. I want to just encourage you, uh, for those of you who are going to be around and others may tune in on live stream or whatever, but as we move through this series, I would encourage you, first of all, to just be praying, Lord, What do you have for me in these things? And I don't mean me, Greg. I mean for you. Be praying. What does God, God, what do you have for me? I've been praying that way for the last few months as I've been, as you know, you know, more, uh, in this sabbatical time and given over to, to more intense study through uh, these matters and things. And that's been one of my prayers, just, Lord, what do you desire for me? Where, where do I need to grow? How do you want to, to change me? How do you want me to come into a fuller, deeper uh, knowledge of you and your love and your work and your purposes in Christ and all of these things? What is it you want for me in your mission of love and light and life-giving work in this world? And how is that to be manifest as, as a man in general before you, as a husband, as a father, now as a grandfather, as many of you know, as a pastor, uh, as a friend, as a son, just all of it. And so be praying, what is God, what, God, what do you desire for me? Second of all, be praying, God, what do you desire for River City Grace? What do you desire for us as a church? And how we would continue to be faithful to move in step with the Lord's purposes among us. And so I'd be encouraging you to be praying in those ways, even within uh, our particular circumstances, situations, opportunities, needs. Lord, what do you have for me? What do you have for us as a church? And then finally, I would just ask that you'd be praying for me as I preach through these things. I know so many of you have been already through the summer and it's been a huge blessing uh, and and just continue to need those prayers as I know you do for myself, for the other elders and the things the Lord's called us to even as we pray for one another. Uh, But be praying that the Lord would help me in preaching, uh, that I'd be faithful, that I'd be clear and uh, that God would use his word for his purposes in all of these ways. So... Uh, To that end, let me close in prayer, then I'll turn it over to Tim, who will lead us into a a time of prayer. We thank you, God, for your word, for your purposes, and pray that uh, seeds of truth that you continue to plant in us would ever be watered and brought to full fruition uh, through the power of your Spirit, uh, that you would be pleased to do in us and through us, not just individually, but corporately as your people, corporately as a local church, 
for the glory of your name, uh, for the blessing and life of others. We trust that you will do, as even as you've promised, more than we can ask or imagine. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.